Okay, so Acts chapter 12, uh, we're kind of moving, moving ahead in the story. Remember, this is the formation of the church. This is the introduction of the Holy Spirit. This is the after story of the apostles. This is all taking place in the book of Acts. And so there's segments that historically make a, a difference. And we're entering another one of those segments. And so I want to handle this in, in two weeks. So we're going to actually split chapter 12 into two sections. We're going to do the, the first and the last today. And we're going to do the middle next week. And today is mainly context. It's mainly letting you know what it was like in the day, who was in charge, what were people thinking, what was going on, so that we can understand what God is doing when we read about uh, Peter's miraculous escape. So the, the title of chapter 12 is Peter's Miraculous Escape from Prison. We're not actually going to talk about the escape from prison at all today. We're going to talk about who put him there and the circumstances around it. So... I want to read uh, verse 1 through 4, and then I want to skip to 20, the, kind of the middle of 20, and read on through 24. So we'll just handle those verses today. So let's read that together. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. So the first thing we need to figure out is, what is this time? So let's, you know, look back, think back. Last week we learned that the church in Antioch formed about seven years after Pentecost. So about seven years have passed since Pentecost formed. The church is about seven years old. It, it's growing. It's, it's pretty healthy in Jerusalem. The word is going out to Gentiles. That was kind of the big deal last week. Uh, the term Christian has come about, probably not as a positive word to start with, but the believers embraced it. Yeah, we do want to be called Little Christ. They embraced that, that name. So now the believers are starting to be called Christians. And then um, Barnabas went and got Saul, and they stayed in Antioch for about a year. So it's seven to eight years now. So between chapter 11 and chapter 12, we can add several months, if not the entire year, and we can be looking at that. So seven or eight years past Pentecost, um, the Gentile church is being formed. And this is where we pick it up. About that time, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, it surprises me that we get one verse. James, and this is Peter James and John James. This is one of the sons of Zebedee, one of the sons of Thunder. This is James, who was in the inner circle Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, those three, got to see more, hear more, and experience more than any of the other apostles. They never missed anything. One of the three gets martyred, gets executed, and Luke gives him one verse. So that's, that's not the main point. Um, and we need to realize that. It's, it's something we need to talk about, but it's not the main point. So verse 3, when he, that'd be Herod, saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And, and bring him out for, for public trial means we're gonna, I'm going to 
bring him out in public. We're going to treat him the same way we did James, and we're going to execute him. That, that was the plan. It wasn't a, we're going to see if we like him or not, or we're going to see what he says. It's, we're going to bring him out. We know what he's going to say. He's going to say Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to say this is the true church. And then we're going to, we're going to execute him. So he, he intended to execute Peter. Don't, don't miss that. So we're going to skip Peter's part of the story. We're going to go to verse 20. Right in the middle, under, it's kind of halfway through the paragraph heading Herod's death. So we're going to basically handle Herod today. It says, Then Herod went to Judea, to Caesarea, and stayed there. So this is after the escape. And, and after they couldn't find Peter. Verse 20. He had begun quarreling with the people, or he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sodom. Uh, they now joined together and sought an audience with them. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So basically all that's telling us is that uh, these people have been arguing with each other. There was irritation growing between them, but rather than become enemies, they sat down and talked. They became friends. They settled the issue. Okay, so things are good. Verse 21, as far as they're concerned anyway. Verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. So he's telling them, hey, everything's going to be fine now. Everything's going to be great. He's addressing the people, letting them know they're good. Verse 22, they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Now, if someone shouted that today, we would think these people are crazy. But in this day, this, this wasn't that unusual. It wasn't even that crazy because they thought there were gods everywhere. They had gods for everything. They thought people were gods. They thought Roman leaders were gods. They thought gods grew up out of people. For them to say, this is the voice of a god, was, was them flattering Herod. They were trying to gain more favor. They were saying, hey, you're the greatest. We love you. You're great. These, this, is, this is the voice of a god, not a man. Like, you are so good that it, it sounds like a god talking to us. They're, they're really laying it on thick here. So verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, a couple of words not to miss. Um, don't miss the word immediately. I, I've heard this explained by people that don't really want to give um, the Bible credit for miracles, and, and they don't want to give the Holy Spirit too much power. They, they want to downgrade things. And they say, well, Herod had a disease, and we know the name of the disease. We still have it today. And, and basically, the worms get in in the gut, and, and they can spread out, and, and you can die. And it's as if you were eaten by worms. And they say, yeah, he just succumbed to this thing, and poor Herod. But this says immediately. This is much more like the scene of a movie where someone falls to the ground, and their flesh is eaten away before you. Uh, it's, it's a lot closer to that. I don't know if it was that. We don't have that information. But it says immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. This is the leader of the Jewish people. He's the, the king of Israel. He's, he's leading the Jewish people. And they say, oh, you're like a God. And Herod was supposed to say, oh, no, I'm not God. Thanks for the compliment, but I'm not God. But instead, in his heart and in his mind... 
Herod was kind of thinking, you know, you might be on to something there. I have done really well for myself lately. I'm very popular among the Jews. And I'm very popular among the Romans. And I, I, I very well may be, I may be in line here. I might be doing well. And he just kind of took that. So it says immediately, which, which tells me almost instantly, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Didn't point at him and say bad words. Didn't go, oh my, you shouldn't have said that. But struck, like whacked. Okay, I mean, think of, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what, I mean, it could, it could have been a, I don't know. <laughs> my imagination is, you know, I have lots of pictures going through my mind right now. Uh, but the angel struck him, okay, forcefully struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I'm guessing that the people who witnessed this event saw worms, saw him eaten by worms. They witnessed his death, and I think they probably went, oh, voice of a god, hmm. And this was a lesson for everyone who was watching, and it was judgment against Herod. Okay, and then verse 24, the last verse for today. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Well, of course it did, because God performed a miracle in front of them. Nobody left the room going, wow, that was weird. I wonder who did that. Everybody left the room going, okay, um, don't mess with God. Okay, maybe they're remembering some other things that happened, but they're like, we're not going to mess with God. And that verse 24 is actually the climax of the entire chapter. And we're going to pick that more up next week when we talk about Peter. But it says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So all this happened. James is arrested and he's killed by the sword. Peter's arrested. He escapes from prison. Herod heads off to, to do some political stuff. He has some success. The people say, oh, you speak with the voice of God. And Herod goes, uh-huh. And he dies. All this happened. Very disturbing things from both perspectives all the way around. And then it says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So God used this occasion to speak to the people in, in Tyre and Sidon, Sidon about himself. He's continuing to spread the gospel. We're going to get back to that, but I didn't want to lose that today. Let's, let's talk about the context of what's happening here. And we're going to just answer some questions that are in the notes. First question is, which Herod is this? Uh, by now, if you've been paying attention, there's been a lot of Herods. And, it, it, and we keep hearing about them dying, and then we keep hearing about Herod again. And so we need some clarification about Herod. And we kind of need to know why they're not telling us which Herod it is. Uh, we need to have this information. Uh, I think some people, when they read this, this will be a stumbling block. Because Herod keeps showing up. He's supposed to be dead. He comes back. He's supposed to be dead. He comes back. This guy's been around a long time. I mean, these three Herods that we're going to mention could have spanned one lifetime. I mean, the time frame could have been the same guy. But it wasn't the same guy. And I'm going to tell you who they are. And then I'm going to tell you why... Uh, why Luke presents them like this. So, so A, in your notes under which Herod is this, well, A, it's not the Herod who murdered the babies after Jesus' birth. Remember, there was a Herod who spoke to the wise men, and when he figured out the wise men weren't coming back, uh, said, okay, how old could this baby be? Well, 
this age, okay, well, we're going to go kill all the babies two years old and younger. He went and did that. Then he went back and he continued to rule. Uh, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Egypt so he wouldn't figure it out and come for them. When he died, then Mary and Joseph came back with Jesus, realized that his son who took over was even more dangerous than he was, and they just kept on going to Nazareth. So that Herod that killed the babies, he's dead. He was known as Herod the Great. Okay? He was Herod the Great uh, for building projects, for his political prowess, and he probably demanded to be called Herod the Great because he's the one that killed most of his family. Anytime anyone looked like they might be thinking about taking the throne, he killed them. He killed sons, he killed wives, he killed anyone that even sort of kind of threatened him. That's Herod the Great. Uh, B, it's not the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and declined to pass judgment on Jesus when offered up by Pilate. Remember, Pilate thought he had an out. He says, aha, Herod's in town. I'm going to send Jesus to Herod. I'm going to let Herod deal with him. Then I can step back and be innocent. And Herod said, yeah, send him over. I've wanted to see this guy for a while. And he comes over and Jesus doesn't play the game with him. This is where Jesus doesn't speak in his trial. Herod gets bored or frustrated. He says, well, I, I don't want anything to do with it. You take care of it, Pilate. Send him back to Pilate. That's that Herod. It's also the Herod that had John the Baptist uh, beheaded earlier because John the Baptist confronted him about uh, marrying his husband's wife, who was also both of their nieces. So that's that Herod. He's called Herod Antipas. Okay, so there's Herod the Great. There's Herod Antipas. Now see, this Herod, who's Herod Agrippa I... Okay, we don't actually ever see the first in Scripture or anything like that, but from history we know this, Herod Agrippa I. This Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod Antipas. So what, what we, you know right now is they're all in the same family. And if we read D, you'll find out why they're just called Herod. So D, Herod was the family name, and it became a common title for a ruler. Now, we don't really have a, a modern illustration of this. We don't have a name that, that means ruler, but um, for a time, maybe, if you're, if you're in Washington and someone's last name is Kennedy, you might think political. You might think senator, president, um, state, of, state department, because the Kennedys were a family that was in politics. They're still Kennedys from the Kennedy family in politics. They've, they're not as prominent as they used to be, but there was a time when the name Kennedy spoke volumes and, and gained you an audience in Washington. And that, that's probably the closest we have to what's going on here, but a better illustration would be how we call people the president, or we call people the sheriff locally, okay? So think of how the president or sheriff can refer to several different people over the course of time, and you're supposed to know them instinctively. So if I was talking about uh, recent American history, and I said, hey, do you remember when the president invaded Iraq? Okay? If you were alive then, you know which president I'm talking about. You know it was George Bush. You know which president invaded Iraq. And then I said, and, and you also remember when the president uh, withdrew from Afghanistan. You know that I'm talking about President Biden. 
I could talk about which, I could, I could name an assassin and just say assassinated the president. And if you were alive at that time, you would know which president I was talking about. If I say the president was impeached, you know there's a choice of two or three. If, if I say the president resigned to avoid impeachment, you know I'm talking about Nixon. So I can say the president attached to a set of circumstances, and you know which president I'm talking about. If I say, uh, you know, I don't need to go any farther. I could come up with more examples, but you understand that all I have to do is say the president and the circumstance, you put them together because you've been alive and you've listened and paid attention and you know how these things go. Um, we have Sheriff Howie as the sheriff now. If we have a different sheriff in the next election or sometime in the past and before Howie, uh, we could say the sheriff did this. And if you're familiar with the time frame, you can identify which sheriff it is. Well, so many Herods had, had been on various thrones and ruled around Israel that they were just called the Herod. They were called Herod. So this is actually more a title than a name at this point in time. That's why it's Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, and um, Herod Agrippa. That's why they have these other names attached to them. So the people that were reading the book of Acts, the people that were intended to be the audience, they knew exactly who was being talked about. No explanation had to be given. They understood who Herod was. So when it says about that time King Herod arrested some of them, they knew which Herod it was. So that's, that's some context. Number two, why did Herod arrest Christians and execute James. What was his motive? Well, in verse 1, it says he intended to persecute them. So that's the short answer. He intended to persecute them. He intended to make their life a little bit miserable, to put pressure on them to stop doing what they were doing. Uh, stop talking about Jesus. Stop trying to spread your word. Stop starting churches. Stop irritating the Sanhedrin. Stop making waves in culture. He said, I'm going to put the pressure on so they'll stop. That was his goal. But there, there's a longer answer. That's B in your notes. What's the long answer? Well, one, his job depended on the Jews not causing trouble. As much as he ruled the area, he still answered to other rulers. He answered to Caesar. He answered to Rome. He actually answered to Romans other than Caesar. And if he didn't keep them happy, he lost his job. And, and you don't just retire from being the king of some place. Um, you don't walk away and, and, and go live in your cabin. It, it would be the death of him, probably. And so he needed to keep the Jews in tow, because if there was another uprising or another riot or another big skirmish, the Romans would say, hey, we've had enough of you and them. We're going to send some troops and we're going to take care of this ourselves. And he'd be out of a job. And his, his, everything that he depended on would be stripped from him. So his job depended on it. Number two, making friends with the Jewish leadership was a politically savvy thing to do. The best way to keep the Jewish population happy was to keep the Jewish leadership happy. Jewish leadership was religious leadership. It was the Sanhedrin. It was the 
Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the scribes and all these people, they didn't like Jesus because Jesus for three and a half years had been saying, you guys aren't, aren't following the true scriptures. You're not recognizing the Messiah. You're not getting saved. You're a false teacher and a false religion. And Jesus died. And he rose again and he said all these things over again. And then his followers take over. And they're saying all the same things. And a whole bunch of people are believing. And they want this thing squashed. And so persecuting the Christians gets him in good with the Jewish leadership as well. Okay? Uh, you could also say that the Romans would have enjoyed this. They would have liked watching it happen. They would have liked participating. So his job depended on it. Uh, it was a politically savvy move. Number three, the Christians were an easy, low-threat target. They were easy and low-threat because they weren't hiding. They, they weren't involved in any warfare. They weren't guerrilla fighters. They were uh, more apt to forgive you than to fight you. They had been taught to go the extra mile, turn the other cheek, things like this. They were more interested in making sure everyone had food. So the Christians were an easy target. Uh, they were easily identified when they had become believers. And they weren't likely to fight back. So, so that, made it, that made it a good thing for him. And then number four, his only concern was maintaining his position. He didn't really care about the Jewish people. He didn't care about the Christians. He didn't even really care about the Roman agenda. He wanted to keep his job. He wanted to keep his position. So he'd do whatever it took. And so um, this persecution was designed to move him in that direction and keep him out of trouble. So that's why Herod was arresting Christians, and that's why he executed James. Um, it was personally motivated, all right? Number three, why was James put to death by the sword? Why was he put to death by the sword? Why did they choose that method of execution? Why did they choose him? Well, it, it doesn't say, but I'm going to speculate a bit. I, I'm going to speculate that they went to where the Christians were. They arrested a whole bunch of Christians. And after they got them, figured out they had James. So they arrested a bunch of Christians. In that bunch of Christians was James. They discovered that James was there. They, they identified him as a leader and thought, oh, good, we'll execute their leader. That will take the fire out of them and they'll all go home. So it was a, it was a, a, a calculated move. All right? So, so A, in your notes, James was most likely the first leader swept up in the arrests. Probably the other apostles weren't arrested at this time. It says after James was executed, and, and Herod thought it was such a great idea, then he went and got Peter. So he didn't have all of them, but he, he got a bunch of Christians. He found out he had James, and then he executed him with a sword. And so be in your notes. Execution by sword symbolized that James was a false teacher. Okay? So the excuse... For the acceptable excuse for executing James when he was a false teacher. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law would stand up and say, he says Jesus is the Messiah. He says we don't need to follow the Sabbath anymore. He says you don't need to be circumcised anymore. He says there's no clean and unclean food anymore. He's not teaching scripture. We are a nation that belongs to God. We teach what God teaches. He's a false teacher and he needs to be gotten rid of. He's stirring up people in Israel, causing them to question our leadership. And 
They're going to become a large group. They're going to become a sect, and they're going to challenge Rome, and they're going to they're going to start a riot. They're going to start a revolution, and so that's all the reason they needed. The Romans were happy because they're putting down someone who might start a revolution. The Jews were happy because we're putting down a false teacher, and they executed him. And and I don't know why the sword represented the false teacher, but that's that's how they felt. Sometimes executed by stoning. Obviously, sometimes by crucifixion, and sometimes by the sword. And if you were struck down by the sword as a means of execution, everyone would know, oh, false teacher. And, and it, was in their, it was in their code, it was in their culture, that you strike down a false teacher. So they would feel like it was justified, it was acceptable. And even when they saw that and thought, oh, false teacher. All right, well, this must be a good thing. Okay? So number four... Why, why did Herod have Peter arrested? He, he, he arrested all these Jews, found James, had James killed, made an example of him, executed him by the sword, proclaimed him a false teacher, uh, in cahoots with the Jewish leadership. Um, why was Peter arrested? Well, it says, um, he, it says, when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So he thought, wow, that worked out really good. I killed one of them, and my approval ratings went up on both sides. I think I'm going to do some more of this. So A, why did he have Peter arrested? Uh, a, it was popular with the Jewish leadership. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, all these people, they're going to be really happy to have Peter arrested. Peter was a pain in their neck. He was a thorn in their flesh. He was the leader of the group. He was very outspoken. He, he was not easily intimidated. And if they arrested Peter, good job. B, it was popular with the greater Jewish population. I don't want you to think that because 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost and 2,000 people got saved a little bit later and a bunch of people got saved after Stephen was martyred, and it says that that uh, it says a couple times that they increased in number. I don't want you to think that they were anywhere close to a majority of people. There are millions, a couple of million people at various times in Jerusalem. Definitely over a couple of million during festivals, and probably closer to a million or so normally. Uh, and so, out of these millions of people, we have numbers in the thousands. So they they were not a majority. They were a actually a pretty small minority. But they were directly attacking what the leadership was, was saying. And they were getting converts. But the, the main people were still fully into Judaism. And, and so them being arrested was a popular thing. Hey, we need to get rid of these troublemakers. We've been putting up with them too long. Um, we should have dealt with them earlier. So it was popular with the Jewish leadership. It was popular with the Jewish people. See, it was popular with the Romans. Because the Romans were always excited about someone getting killed. Always excited about someone getting arrested. Uh, they, they thrived on brutality, uh, particularly the soldiers and, and the leaders. So it was popular with everybody. So it was a win-win-win for Herod. And then D, if a top leader like James was such a good thing, then the top leader, Peter, would obviously be an even better thing. If, if I got this much traction from executing one of the top three, let me execute the top guy, 
that'll, that'll really do some good stuff. And then E, it says, plus, if you cut off the head, the movement will most likely die off. If you take off the leader, they've already, in their, in their minds, gotten rid of Jesus. And, and then they got rid of James, and they go, if we can get Peter, this thing's over with. And it's interesting that God saved Peter from being executed because it may be a little truth to that. It, it may have been a very difficult thing for the humans left in charge to continue on when their second leader was executed. Jesus first, then Peter. So God steps in and he rescues Peter to keep things going, which is just like what God has done all along. He's, he's worked within the culture, within the circumstances, within the times, and he stepped in on occasion to do a miraculous thing because it was necessary for the movement to continue, for the people not to be discouraged, this kind of thing. So that, that, was, that was Herod's motivation. And then number five, uh, Herod was just a, a little bit concerned about Peter escaping. Why is that true? Um, how do we know he was a little concerned? A, he assigned 16 soldiers. I, I don't know. I, I think Peter was an average-looking fellow. <laughs> 16 soldiers. Armed to the teeth. You know, they had their swords and everything. Uh, 16 soldiers. Professional soldiers. Not, hey, go find 16 guys, you know, deputize them and let them guard him. 16 soldiers. Uh, some would be sleeping while others were on duty. Probably more on duty than sleeping at all given times. Uh, most people think that at least, at least two of them were chained to him. And you're like, that's a little overkill, Herod. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking number two. I think Herod remembered Acts 5.19 when all of the apostles had been arrested by the Jewish leadership. And when they went to get him in the morning, they were gone. Remember, they walked right out and then, and then went to preaching in the morning. And they went to get them so they could, they could have their own little trial. And where are they? Oh, well, they're, uh, they're at the synagogue preaching. What? I think he remembered that. So he said, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Uh, two should be plenty. Four is enough. Um, Sixteen. That's the number I want. So he put 16 guards on Peter which just makes the miracle that much more miraculous when we talk about it next week. So he, a little overkill there, okay? So number six, we're going to summarize some of this. Where, what, where have we gotten so far in this context that's going to help us next week understand the miracle? Um, a, Herod persecuted Christians to empower and protect himself. Okay, Herod has selfish motivations to empower and protect himself. B, Herod created an acceptable excuse to murder James. I hope you're seeing the parallel to today. As, as I make these statements, I hope you see the parallel to today. Okay? Uh, leaders are persecuting Christians to empower and protect themselves. I think that's the motivation 99% of the time. Don't, 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 I don't know what we might think, but let's be real. Um, it's usually selfishness. Okay, so Herod persecuted the Christians for selfishness. He created an acceptable excuse to murder James. You know, we're not going to be persecuted if it comes to this. We're not going to be persecuted because we're Christians. It's not going to be on the news. Well, the United States government today arrested more Christians because they were Christians, and we're going to kill them because they're Christians. Why? Because we don't like Christians. It's not going to be the news. It's going to be fundamentalists of the Christian faith have been arrested for plotting against the government, for 
circumventing the Constitution. Uh, these excuses are going to be made. That's exactly what was happening back then. And, and so I don't want you to think, oh, how are we going to fix this? I want you to just realize that it was going on back then too. Nothing has really changed. Persecution is persecution, and evil people do evil things, and selfishness drives humanity. Okay, see, Herod was further driven to persecute Christians in order to be popular. Let me say it like this. He gained popularity by persecuting Christians. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I don't even like to say it, but it's popular today to persecute Christians. It's different technology, it's different methods, but it's the same concept. Okay, we're dealing with the same stuff the apostles are dealing with. So as we watch them and see how they deal with it, that's that's the lead for us to follow their example. So we're gonna we're gonna see how they deal with this. We've seen how they deal with this. Okay? Because it was popular. And then and D, Herod targeted leaders. Because you take out a leader in order to take out a group. It's it's the leaders. And you know, that shouldn't keep us from becoming leaders. It, it should empower us to become leaders because this is what God might do. This isn't in your notes, but you should write it in there. I don't want you to miss this. These four things, okay? Herod persecuted Christians to empower and protect himself. Herod created acceptable excuses to murder James. Herod was further driven when he found out it was popular and he targeted leaders. Write this down underneath there. God was okay with this. Not like he ordained it. Not like he celebrated it. But he was okay with it. How do I know he was okay with it? Because he let it happen and he didn't do anything about it. If God lets it happen and he doesn't do anything to stop it, then he's okay with it. Why is he okay with it? Because it's going to accomplish his purposes. What's his purpose? Verse 24. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. Even though Herod, who was an evil guy all among himself, and he wasn't afraid to kill people, and he lived an immoral lifestyle, and he thought he was like a god, and all these things going on, even though all this is happening, and James was killed, one of the best friends of Jesus, in the inner circle, all this is going on, God's like, yeah, I know. It's part of the plan. I'm letting it happen. I got a purpose for this. Just keep going. Stick to the plan. Don't veer to the right. Don't veer to the left. Don't take matters into your own hands. Keep going. I know you don't get it. This is part of my plan. God was okay with this. God was okay with this. Number seven, when did Herod finally take things too far? What was the thing that God was not okay with? What was the straw that broke the camel's back as far as Herod's concerned? It's A, when pride and popularity convinced Herod that he deserved to be a god. When they said, you speak with the voice of God, something in Herod said, mm -hmm. you're on to something. You know, it, it, you know, God didn't judge Herod because the people were stupid. God judged Herod because of what he was thinking and what he was doing. He was so proud of himself and his popularity 
his political maneuvers and everything he had done, when they said, oh, you speak with the voice of God, he stood up a little taller and patted himself on the back somehow. B, when he took for himself the glory that was due God. When he took for himself, I put in parentheses, remind you of anyone? What did Satan do? He decided he wanted the worship that he was supposed to give to God. He wanted it for himself. And, and that was a great rebellion in heaven. He became Satan, the devil. He used to be the worship leader in heaven. Now he's Satan, the cast out one. All these other terms. But Herod took for himself. He didn't say, no, 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 no. Which was the correct response. Oh, you speak like the, you have the voice of a God. No, no, no. I'm a servant of God just like you. I happen to be the king, but I'm still a servant. No, he didn't do that. He said, uh-huh, mm-hmm, good, I like this. So he took it for himself. And then see, his punishment sent a clear message that God was real and present. You don't fall to the ground and be eaten by worms in front of everybody while you're giving a speech. And people go, oh, wasn't expecting that. Pretty good show, though. No, I think they stared, their mouth hung open, they talked among themselves. What is this? What's going on? What does this mean? Uh, what did he do? Because they would put two and two together very quickly. God did this. What did he do to God? Oh, oh, oh. They put it all together. So a, a clear message was sent, and, and that plays into verse 24. Notice verse 24 is not at the end of the story where Peter escapes. It doesn't say, and Peter escaped, and all the people rejoiced, and their prayers were answered, and the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And by the way, let me tell you what happened to Herod. It talks about Peter escaping, then it talks about what happened to Herod, and then it says, but, but, James was killed, but, Peter was arrested, but, Peter escaped, but, and Herod was struck down and eaten by worms in front of everybody, but it didn't harm the cause. It caused the word of God to continue to be spread and to flourish. Let's bring that to today. We might be targeted because we're Christians. Your leaders might be more in jeopardy than, than the, the average person. Our, our national Christian leaders are being attacked more than our local Christian leaders. We see that happening. People are having fun persecuting Christians. Um, it's, it's popular. They create excuses to do bad things, and, and they're doing it for selfish reasons. Um, that's all going on today, but the Word of God is flourishing. There, there's more stuff going on in the name of God now than there was before COVID started because all the people that weren't serious about God left. Okay? Uh, we have this thing going on in Ukraine. The, the Christians in Ukraine and the pastors in Ukraine, they're serving Ukrainians. And they're saying, hey, you know what? This is war. You know, fight or don't fight. That's, that's your conviction. But let me tell you about Jesus, just in case. Let me tell you about someone who, who wants to take you into their kingdom when this is all over. They're, they're serving medically. They're serving in a lot of different ways. So the gospel can go out. This is what happened in China with their underground church. Where it's illegal to be a Christian. And you can be arrested and tortured. And sent to a concentration camp for being a Christian. 
You're not even allowed to post Christian things on Chinese internet now. And, and some of the pastors are going, well, then arrest me because I'm going to do it anyway. And some are going, well, I'm going to figure out how to serve the church and sneak around doing it. But we're not going to stop. We're going to serve. And the church has gone stronger. There's a strong church in Iraq. There's a strong church in Iran. There's Christians in Afghanistan. Some of the worst places to be a Christian are some of the strongest Christians on the earth. And God says, I know. I know. And I'm okay with it. Because because I'm going to use it. And good things are going to happen. And that's got to be our approach. You know, God, I don't know what God's going to have individuals do or don't do. But I know that as the collective body of Christ, our only job while on earth is to share the gospel with others so they can be saved so that when we all leave this planet, we can go to heaven and be with Christ instead of in hell. That's our job. Our job doesn't change because someone's picking on us or threatening to kill us. Our job doesn't change when we're paying $4.46 for gas. And it doesn't change when the news doesn't like us. And it doesn't change when our neighbors don't like us. Our job doesn't change. It also doesn't change when everything's great and we have all the money we can spend and the weather's nice and everything's peachy. It doesn't change. Our job is to share the gospel with others, to live a life that shares the gospel with others, to call people by displaying our faith to Christ. Because the word of God will continue to spread and flourish, and sometimes God says, I'm going to do it in the hard times. And we should welcome it. Did I say that? Don't want it, but we better welcome it. I'd rather be Peter in this story. Okay, I don't, I don't want to be Ananias and Sapphira. I don't want to be the, the, the never mentioned because I never showed up. I want to be Barnabas. I want to be Saul. I kept you late. Father God, help us to be the people we need to be. Help us to not get sucked in by what the devil is trying to feed us. We are here for a single purpose. It's to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you, and share the gospel with others. Give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.